It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. I'm feeling quite demob happy. Yes. So I'm taking my son to Sweden. Yes. Which, as you know, I'm a big Swedophile. I've been yes. saying we should be doing uh, Reasons to be Swedish at some point. Yeah. Could you, you do, is it a research trip then? Yeah, 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 ab- absolutely. Um, we still need to see if we can find somebody to fund it. I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast. I got in touch with, I think it was the... You have the, told the story. I have told it, yeah, yeah the, the UK Swedish oh. Tourist Board, uh, and said, hi, uh, I co-host a podcast called Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband. We explore ideas. We'd love to explore ideas in Swedish society. Uh, and they just emailed back saying, no, thanks, George. It's just one of those things. Yeah. yeah, I know, but it still eats away at me. Does it? Yeah, a little mm. bit. I and mean, it's been been well over a year, and it still eats well, look, away. I at think me. the research—it's a really important research trip. It, absolutely, I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm lucky enough to be here because all Sw- Swedes basically don't work in July and for the first bit of August. Yes, that's true of Scandinavia, and it's really interesting because you know, as um, EU citizens, we're all guaranteed. I, th- I think the the basic guarantee is 20 days holiday, but then when you start adding... Plus bank uh, holidays. Bank holidays, it's sort of 25 or 28. So the, the Swedes obviously get that, but because unions are so strong in Sweden, most of them get many more than that. And there is a thing in Swedish law where you are allowed... Everybody is allowed to take four consecutive weeks off in the summer. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. So so that's what happens. I mean, like a lot of Sweden just sort of closes down. And it's interesting it's July, not August, whereas I think people are more likely to go on holiday here in August because of school holidays and all that. Yeah, I think also maybe like the further south you get in Europe, that tends to be true as well. Like Italians oh, are, are all I on. But I think, I think the, by the time you get into the back half of August, the Swedes start thinking of it as autumn. But in July, you get these lovely long days and, and long nights too and I can't wait I'm going to take my son to Stockholm we're going to go to an island it's going to be which island is it a little island called Grinda and we're staying oh. in a cabin just the two of us anyway so I'm Demob happy today uh, what are we going to be talking about we're going to be talking about LGBT inclusive education 
at the moment, we have very limited requirements relating to schools teaching about sexual orientation and gender identity. That is changing. But Stonewall's recent school report has found this is, this is having a big impact on young people. 45% of LGBT children are bullied in school. Half hear homophobic slurs frequently. And 84% of trans young people have self-harmed. Now, now, of course, this is this year is 50 years since the Stonewall riots in New York, 30 years since the founding of Stonewall in the UK, which was in response to Section 28 which banned teachers, quote-unquote, promoting homosexuality in schools. So we're going to be talking to Ruth Hunt about where we are in LGBT rights, the importance of LGBT inclusive education, and the new relationships and sex education policy in England, which will make it compulsory for secondary schools to teach about LGBT relationships. And then we've got a really inspiring interview with Liam Stevenson, who co-founded the campaign for LGBT inclusive education in Scotland. Uh, he's a fuel tanker driver, who got involved in LGBT rights through the um, actually through the referendum, the Scottish referendum campaign, and and he has helped secure the most comprehensive policy in the world with LGBT issues embedded across the whole curriculum. Isn't that interesting? Another idea we've had a few of these recently, where Scotland is ahead of the curve compared to the rest of the UK. Yeah, reasons to be Scottish. Yeah, another one might be slightly easier to fund them. Reasons to be Swedish. Yeah, um, and then we're joined by. One of my favourite comedians. She is just brilliant. Uh, she makes me laugh harder than pretty much anyone. We're joined by comedian Lou Sanders later. What's your reason to be cheerful? I've bought a new frying pan. Finally. <laughs> talk, talk, talk me through it. Why did you need a new frying pan? What because the, the old, old one? one, I mean... Was it frying properly? No, it wasn't just it wasn't frying. I mean, it's just so kind of scratched, cruddy and yeah, scratched yeah. and all that and I, and the thing is i was doing quite a man thing so i kept saying to justine oh we've really got to get a new frying pan and she mm. was sort of saying well get one then so did you do your research i did although i, d I looked on which and i couldn't find a frying pan sort of rating thingamajigsy uh, so then i went on the sort of john lewis there are other companies uh and and looked at the sort of reviews and we what, what have you gone with tfal we went with tfal classic yeah, yeah but I'll, i will obviously report back but it, it's just whenever i use a frying pan somewhere else uh it's always such a joy so has it had its maiden voyage yet no it's just literally just arrived great what's going to be the first thing you fry up mm, i don't know Okay. We're setting up an interdepartmental family commission to discuss it. <laughs> this is the cliffhanger we can find out on next week's episode. Yeah, it's yeah. almost as good as a leisure centre story. What's your reason to be cheerful? Just a quick one. I went to see a play last night written by my friend Jack Thorne. It's called The End of History, and it's on uh, the Royal Court Theatre in in London. And it's I want to see it. I've heard about this. What oh, was it's it? Really it's just, good. It's about it's about a family. Yes. Uh, it's set across the decades. Ninety seven opens up in nineteen ninety seven, and I, I almost don't want to say right. too much about it. But it's it's that thing about the key to the universal being in the personal, and he writes so brilliantly about human relationships and family dynamics Gosh. and it's so layered he's you so know it's you know where it comes from the title i, d I don't know no it, it's based on an essay written by francis fukuyama who wrote an essay in in 1989 called the end of history uh published in uh, a journal called the national interest and basically he argued that it was the ascendancy and the final triumph of western style liberal democracy after the cold under the cold war uh -huh. um and actually um I think it drew on Hegel and, to a lesser extent, Marx. Um, and uh, Marx least, gets a shout out. Yeah, at least in the what, play. At least that's what Wikipedia <laughs> says. Ah, and um, I think he's since renounced the end of history because it doesn't feel very the end of history, right, does it? Right. Um, 
Uh, so I think that's what it's based on. Well, it's a brilliant play. He's so talented. He co-writes a lot of the This Is England stuff with Shane Meadows. Oh, really? He wrote the the Harry Potter play with J.K. Rowling. Oh, good. Well, he's I'm... had so many things on TV recently. There was the, this the thing, Kerry, which was brilliant. This thing with Robbie Coltrane called National Treasure. I mean, it's his his. He's so prolific, it's mind-blowing, and he is such a brilliant writer. Can't recommend right. it well, highly enough. I'm off to the theatre. Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're delighted to be joined now by Ruth Hunt, outgoing Chief Executive of Stonewall. Hello. Hello. You talked to us a bit about Stonewall. So I'm right in thinking it was set up. Uh, as, a, as a reaction to Section 28. Mm. Um, we, we do have the odd millennial listener, so can you sort of remind us what Section 28 was? So Section 28 came in 1987 uh, in response to a book called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin. Now, the book is quite boring, actually. Don't tell anyone. But Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin is a story about a girl called Jenny who lives with her dad, Eric, and his boyfriend, Martin. And they go on all these adventures as Hence kids the title. do. Hence the title. And uh, in about in halfway through this book, Jenny is seen having what we call in Wales a morning kutch with Eric and Martin. So it's when you go and have a cuddle in the morning and you talk about your day. And the the men don't have pyjama tops on. And it was considered to be so dangerous to convert a whole generation of kids into blatant homosexuals. The the philosophy was let's let's ban the book. So what Thatcher's government did was say that no public authority, no no nothing that used public funds could do anything whatsoever to promote lesbian and gay lifestyles. And this came at the height of HIV. So having had a generation of gay men who were actively persecuted and imprisoned for being gay, women who were sectioned because they they were considered to be insane, you then had men who were told that they were responsible for people dying and then you told a whole generation of youth that they weren't allowed to exist. And that's 30 years ago. And we get really sanctimonious about Russia and what Russia's doing. And I think 30 years ago, that is nothing. So Michael Cashman, Ian McKellen, uh, Lisa Power got together and said, we're going to do something about this. And it was the 20th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. And the Stonewall Riots in New York were much more um, active. It was throwing stilettos and bricks and all sorts. And what Michael Cashman and Ian et al. did is they, they named what was, in fact, a very, very conciliatory movement after this riot. And I remember a lot of protests around Section 28 at the time. And in, yeah. in my memory, it was, I'm not saying it blew over quickly, but I'd sort of always made the assumption by the time that Labour came to power in 1997, that was it, Section 28 was done with. But it was much slower than that. No, it took ages. Yeah. So, so we, we often think that 1997 was a big turning point because that's when Tony Blair came in. And but actually, John Major had made a commitment to fulfil every request that Stonewall made. And then and then he was removed. Uh, Blair came in and said, I will do it. But actually, it took the first change came through a European piece of legislation, which was the sexual orientation regulations that banned discrimination in the workplace. And that was 2001. Section 28 came back and back again. Age of consent came back and back again. The kind of narrative that everything whistled through. LGBT stuff has never been subject to a whip, even with a Labour majority during those 2000s. Everything was a battle. There was wrecking amendments on every bit of legislation. So so there's a kind of rosy picture because it felt like it went fast. But no, it was a slow old slog. And how far have we come on education, which is the main topic we're talking about today and LGBT inclusive education? If you if you think about Section 28 sort of framing in a way... And by the way, it wasn't like Section 28 dealt with or got rid of really great 
no, teaching no, no, about gay rights and LGBT uh, people that was going on. No. <laughs> I mean, was it, you know? I mean, I didn't have when I was a kid. So I was in school. I mean, there was nothing. The only reference to lesbian came in relation to a book called I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, where the protagonist sleeps with a man because she thinks she's a lesbian. And my English teacher took his glasses off and said, if any of you girls think you're a lesbian, don't sleep with a man. And that was my sex ed. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like there was not there was nothing going on. Um but schools now are, in a, are a transformed place. I mean, it has been... When I started in Stonewall in 2005, my main job was the Education for All campaign. And we conducted research with kids for the first time, so we got a sense of what the situation was. And then 75% of LGBT kids were being bullied, and now it's 45%. So really good Which is still bad. Still bad, yeah. No, Stonewall's still got lots to do. But it's changing. I think the thing that we know is that when schools are good, they're really good. And when they're not doing this at all, we have a problem. And it is, is part of that there's there's no uniformity to it. It's yeah. just sort of so free schools and academies they kind of get a free pass to to do what they want to a large extent, and then sort of in the curriculum there's there's sort of not very. very I mean, much. Th- there are not many parameters around the curriculum, right. so it depends on school leadership. So if the school leadership says, "Look, we know Ofsted asks us to tackle bullying, and we know that they specify homophobic bullying. How are we going to go about it? We're going to do this program of work. It goes well. It can depend on who's in." the school what the parents are like uh where where they are in the country your school report said that 40 percent of lgbt pupils are never taught anything about lgbt issues in school and just 20 percent have been taught about safe sex and same-sex relationships so yeah we're going to talk about scotland in a bit but in england so where are we now what are the but there are some new requirements coming in what, what do you think about those so there's there's new requirements coming in, and they that used to be what you would know as the sex and relationship education. Uh, the, the current government has switched that around. So it's relationships and sex education, and that's an important emphasis. Uh, that was voted through, I think only 24 people voted against it. So compare that to Section 28. We sure. are, we're in a whole different sure. league, um, and the government is supportive of this yeah. work. I think what now has to happen is that guidance is going to go out to schools to help them to teach this, but there's not much money available to help the schools do that or teach the teachers how to do it so we're in a situation where schools are now basically strongly encouraged by government so they're certainly saying that secondary schools must do this and they're saying primary schools should do this so that's quite a that's quite a nuance and the content content is yet to be established all right so you know one person's content it, that's why i mean it comes down when to school will we leadership. know what the content is they're developing it now, um, but in I think... In consultation with you yes, and others? Yes. And what are the ideas for, for The content? ideas... So in primary schools, for, for our stuff in particular, it's about different families. So we talk a lot about who's in your family, who do you love. Um, you know, so my godson, Louis, can talk at length about Auntie Ruthie and Auntie Caroline and our vast selection of Lego without any impunity. So lots about different families in primary schools. In secondary schools, it's much more explicitly about safe sex and sex education. So... They're trying to work out where those lines are. And, of course, there's been some backlash about that. Does it go far enough, then, the English um, requirements? I, I, th- I think that it, it, it does enough in relation to secondary schools. I think primary schools, it could be stronger. But I think because, there was, what, why is it because it is this kind of sort of like you should if you could if you can. Not in, compulsory, no, then. It is, but, but they're not quite as explicit about right. exactly what should go on. Now, in the context of what kids are taught, we've seen some recent school protests in... Birmingham. Um, what's your sort of reaction to, to to all of that? Well, I think I think 
the first thing to remember is that what's happening in Birmingham is quite a small example. So there's lots and lots of schools who are doing this well. And what we say to all schools is that if you're engaging on any programme of relationships and sex education is talk to the parents before you start. So there's, there's lots you can do. I think the second issue is that this isn't just about uh, LGBT issues in Birmingham. The campaign is clearly a wider campaign against the relationships and sex education legislation that was coming through and that the gay stuff was was kind of weaponized as part of that. But I think what's really reassuring is how firm the authorities have been in Birmingham about the fundamental role that schools have in with children in educating them about these issues. And that, that's the fundamental issue. And Ofsted are unequivocal about that. And schools are unequivocal that schools have a role. And I think once you accept that schools have a role, where parents might also have a role, but in case they don't, schools have got to have a role, then you have to accept that LGBT is part of that. And should parents be able to decide whether their children learn about these issues of sexual orientation and gender? It comes back to, you know, well, what role... what. When can parents make a decision about what kids do? You know, when when are kids too young or old enough to make their own decisions? I think on a whole range of different issues. You know, and actually, we need an adult conversation about where do schools' responsibilities begin and end, and when do we think children are able to make their own decisions? So, I do not believe that parents should ever have the right to remove their kids from these lessons because where does it end? Frankly, I mean, I think what's so interesting, Jeremy Hunt, you know, relation spoke rather well about this, about, I think, his, his child who's in primary school. He was at a party mm. and he said, I want to go and say to the mummy and daddy, thank you. And he's like, no, it's a mummy and a mummy or a daddy yeah. and a daddy. And, you know, I, I think, you know, certainly from the experience of my kids, I, ju- I just think kids sort of get this. And the question is whether, they're, whether their kind of view is warped by society, which then says there's something wrong with this. Yeah. I mean, it, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think, I think the kids who are coming through now are completely and utterly relaxed about this. Yeah. In the same way they're relaxed if Mark wants to dress up as Elsa all week. You know, everybody else gets outraged about this, but but actually the kids are very laid back about it. And I think there's something about our own anxiety that can really disrupt this in quite a damaging way. But I think, that, I think by and large, most schools are doing this very well and coping very well with it and getting the right advice when they need to. What about then homophobia, transphobia, myphobia in, in, in schools and how that is affecting young people? Well, a lot of the major hate crime incidents have had popular coverage. It's not necessarily the unusual incidents. They just seem to have captured the imagination. We're all perpetrated by young people. So this kind of myth that uh, once we get past this generation, it's all going to be all right because they're all queer, fun-loving people it is not true. I mean... I think what we find is that schools are are in, working incredibly hard to create a culture where all kids are accepted. And what we're finding is, the, is, to be frank, the gay kids who are quite cool are accepted. The gay kids who are not cool are still marginalised. Right. And the kids who don't quite know what they are are marginalised. So still using you're so gay, it's so gay, that's Half so gay. of LGBT pupils hear homophobic slurs frequently or often time. at school, yeah. you, your, your report says. Yeah. So what, what is the disconnect between what you were talking about a moment ago where kids just sort of intrinsically are, are pretty broad-minded about the stuff and they grasp it and they understand it um, and it's it's the society that's the problem and then this bullying as, as they get a bit older. Well, I think that's patriarchy. I think we get really obsessed from about the age of 11 and 12 about what makes a good boy and what makes a good girl and, and homophobia and biphobia and transphobia become the means by which we attack on that. So that's why it sometimes has nothing to do with sexual orientation at all. It's about 
whether you are a good enough man. Are you man enough? Are you doing the sports you should be doing? Are you listening to the music you should be listening to? Anything that disrupts that becomes a cause for discrimination. And I think that that has become a lot more rigid over the last five to ten years. So, you think it's worse? Is that because yes, of social media? Absolutely. I think social media, I think because of social media influencers, I think because of a paranoia about, about what men are becoming and how they are. I think the way in which... Um, Everything is marketed, hyper-masculinity, hyper-femininity. There is no space for ambiguity or anything in between. So boys Less are, space, you think, than Yeah, absolutely. That's really I mean, look at Lego, right? So, so Lego is just the most amazing generic bit of kit in yeah. the world, right? You can put a box of it and people play yeah. forever. There is now girls' Lego and there's boys' Lego. And, and girls are actively encouraged to buy the pastel stuff where there are fewer bits to build the item. And the boys buy the complex wow. stuff. So there's something about um, our fragility about about being a man and a fragility about what it is to be a woman that is really undermining a lot of the good work, which isn't about the boy in the class who's gay. You've spoken out on trans issues and, uh, you know, um, very bravely in my, in my view. Um, I mean, your report uh, also says, I think, that... Eighty-four percent of trans young people have self-harmed. You know, I mean, t- talk to us a bit about that because yeah. you know, so often the trans debate is not about the mental health of teenagers and 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 younger kids and what they're yeah. going through. And I think it's important to, that we talk about absolutely them in this. And I, I think uh, the the fate of young trans people at the moment is the thing that keeps me awake most at night. Now, half of young trans people uh, attempted suicide last year. Like this is we we've got a major problem here. We've got a major problem, and that's shocking. Yeah, and and it's a it it's kind of relates back to my point about what is a good man and what is a good woman, really. In that, that what what's happening to young people? There's several several situations. The first is for someone who is very young, three, two, who has a very clear sense that they are that they are in the wrong gender. Um, they have two that they can go two ways. Their parents can go. Gosh, this is hard, but I'm gonna let's just let you do what you need to do. You want to go to school as Sarah? That's going to be fine. And then they're the parents who get vilified in the press, attacked, uh, told that they're uh, abusing their children. I mean, the level of vitriol is just unprecedented, and that has an impact. Sarah goes through primary school very happy. Sarah goes to secondary school and starts going through puberty, and suddenly all the things that she could hide when she was a kid, stops being quite so able to be hidden. She then has another two options. She can go on something called puberty blockers that will stop her puberty, or she can go through puberty. And to go through puberty is so destroying. Her body changes. She's suddenly, what changing room is she supposed to go into? Her voice deepens. You know, all that stuff that happens is so incongruous that it, the, the, dys, the dysphoria, what's called dysphoria, is so heartbreaking that that's where you get self-harm or suicide. No child is allowed any um, surgery or anything like that until they're 18, another myth that's in the media. That is a very, very, very long time to live and feel wrong. And feeling that wrong for that period of time can only have a negative impact on your mental health. And do you think things have have got worse for trans kids, or do you think they've always been bad, but now they're bad and visible? I think I think they've uh, I think they've always been bad. I think what's what's different now is that it's it's bad and vocal. So whereas it used to be bad in your home, it is now bad in you know Mumsnet is a wash. 
with some of the most vitriolic stuff I've ever read directed at trans kids and their parents. Um, the Times runs a negative article pretty much every day. So, so the hostility is now outside as well as as well as what you're trying to work out as a family. And families are human, and they're working out their stuff. The level of vitriol from behind. How do we change this? Do you think? I think through education, which is boring, but it yeah. has to be done. I think we talk more about it. I think we allow people to ask questions and say, well, I'm a bit worried about what a puberty blocker does, but I've got Sarah's best interests at heart. So we have those conversations from a position of good faith, whereas the conversations at the moment are there's no such thing as trans kids. And everything gets positioned because it's quite hard to articulate what it means to be feeling wrong. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, Sarah never liked boys' toys, to which the answer is, well, I never liked boys' toys and I'm not a boy. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, shut up it's more complicated than that so we have to be generous to people who are navigating quite complex stuff and don't have the words to express it but also create the space to ask questions in good faith and try and move the debate on a bit and call it out because the stuff that's going on in public needs more people like you saying what is going on than just me you're um due to leave stonewall in august um after so 14 years Mm -hmm. working there and Five years of CEO. And five years of CEO. What's your, kind of apart from probably needing a holiday, what's your overriding sense about, I don't want to be simplistic about it, but sort of how far we've come, how far we've got to go, the sort of what you're handing over. I don't mean in terms of the organisation, but in terms of the cause. I I think that I used to think that you could clock up change and it would be banked. You know, so I'd go, I'd, I've, I think about the 14 years and I think we did Human Fertilisation yeah. Embryology Act, banked. We did it yeah. banked and it's not like that. So what I'm realising now is that things don't stay nice uh, and, and they kind of come out again and creep out again. And I think that is a slightly more um, complex picture than I would have once thought, which where I thought it was like, we need to just change attitudes, change attitudes, change attitudes, and they'll stay changed. When people are angry and vulnerable and fragile, it's the other that gets attacked, and that's, that's global. Legally, we've come a long way. It's kind of hard to measure, but, it, you know, culturally... In terms of people's daily lives, we've come a long way too, yeah. but not as far. I think we have in certain areas. I think, you know, I think if you measure it by Netflix output, right, you know, LGBT people are everywhere doing amazing things who are all different shapes and sizes. Whereas yeah. when I was a kid, every single lesbian was in for one series, they'd kill someone or they'd kill their partner or they'd die. Do you know what I mean? Like that was the, that was the trope. Or they were really mad, scary women in Agatha Christie adaptations, right? So kind of you look now, Netflix is awash with yeah. dykes, right? And it's brilliant. But I, I do think that there is there is an increasing divide between those of us who can control our own lives, who have an income, who are, you know, have our partnerships, this, that and the other, and those who are on zero contracts, living in a council flat with their mom, who are practicing a faith and have no escape. I don't think they would say it's easy to be a trans kid right now. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. so I think what we what we lose sight of when we were all united in, oh my god, it's so hard, none of us can get married. Yeah. We've lost that unity. That's really interesting. And I think we we relentlessly pursued a, a, a campaign of assimilation where we we pushed for our own individual rights and lost our sense of solidarity and community. I think there is something about how our civil rights movement was built, which was around my rights that has left people behind that that causes problems going forward. So we have a thing on the podcast called the Jeffocracy, where I am a, a supreme but benign leader. If, if I was to um, appoint you, I don't know, what would you like to be? Minister for LGBT rights, Minister for Equality, Equalities? I mean, what would you like? It's, 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 it's up to you. 
Yeah, let's do let's do general equality, shall okay. we? Let's not. So, yeah. What's what's the first thing you do on day one? Maybe sort of specifically with regards to education. Well, in terms of education, I would create um, better budget for every school to have decent training on how to do this well, because part of the problem is that we're giving them 25 quid to learn everything they can about relationship and sex education and then leaving them to it. So it needs decent resource in every school that is probably totally inclusive. So it does talk about domestic violence and respect for women and respect for LGBT people. And that done well could be really transformative. And I think as the equalities minister, you think a a sort of ocracy of any kind is possibly problematic it? so maybe yeah. i mean from, maybe you'll join me in the sort of we had a good two coup, years where this stuff was never been mentioned in launching a coup against the theocracy it is but part of stonewall's problem is we work with quite a lot oh, so, I, I, so I, would, I would work with the ocracy for a while yeah until i'd worked out that it was actually jeff's fundamental inability as a leader topple him <laughs> yeah replace it and then do reformation i mean i would just take a different approach i mean that sounds good to me ruth hunt thank you so much thank you very much so to talk about the situation in Scotland and the strides that have been made there, I'm delighted that we're joined on the line now by Liam Stevenson, who's co-founder of Time for Inclusive Education, which is a campaign for LGBT inclusive education in Scotland. And in 2018, the Scottish government adopted their proposals in full. Liam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. Can you just explain, first of all, how did the Time for Inclusive Education campaign come about and how did you get involved in it? Uh, Well it came about uh, in 2014 uh, I became friends with a young gay man. I'm not someone who identifies as being part of the LGBT community myself and I'm someone who doesn't have any family members and didn't really grow up around LGBT people so it's not really something that ever ever touched my life but um, in 2014 I had become engaged in the Scottish independence referendum and it started the you know campaign. Uh, I won't I won't go into which way I, uh, I campaigned, but <laughs> that's very diplomatic un- of you. I was unsuccessful in my endeavours. On the back of the the referendum, I became friends with Jordan, who is a co-founder of Tai, and he was at the time a nineteen year old young gay man, and I, I was thirty six um, and a fuel tanker driver, as I still am day to day. And what happened was I began to learn about his experiences in education, and I get I got to understand that. He was made to feel like an alien, um, almost like a freak at school because of his sexuality. And at that time in my life, my little girl, she was three years old, and and, and immediately I took his experience and I kind of imagined whether that was possibly acceptable for my little girl as she grows up and she identifies however she may identify. And obviously the answer to, to that was no. So we kind of set about, um, as, as two new friends who decided they were going to change the world. We decided that we were going to make things different and make things better for LGBT people at school. And at that time, we didn't know how we would go about it. We didn't know that much about how Scottish education worked. Uh, but we went about, we spent probably a year um, learning because there are some schools in Scotland doing really good work on LGBT inclusive education. But we decided we would go and fact find. And at the same time, we would build a political case as to why this had to be carried forward and why this had to happen in every single school. So so you go on this fact finding tour and you come up with a, a set of proposals on embedding LGBT education a, across the curriculum. You then put them to the Scottish government and and they've accepted them. Do you, do you want to talk us through what proposal, what your proposals are, and what they'll mean in practice? 
Yeah, well, there are 33 recommendations in total. Um, when we finally, we had, we had a working group that ran for about 14 or 15 months, which um, that, that seemed too slow for us, but we were told that often working groups uh, can sit for years, you know, when you get to this kind of policy level. So, you know, we, we moved at breakneck speed. We are a working group because we were determined that, you know, Tomorrow and next year and next month, it was too long for these people who are struggling at education just now. We need to, you know, we need to deliver this really, really quickly. But what we done was when we submitted the 33 recommendations to ministers, we were fully expecting that they would come back and they'd be watered down, they would be amended right, left and centre. And they weren't to a surprise. They didn't tweak one word in these 33 recommendations, which we were really happy with. But they're very, very, very wide ranging. It, it starts from things like, making sure teachers are properly trained when they're at university level, when they're learning to become teachers. Also making sure that there's adequate training for teachers already in the profession right now, because of course we cannot expect teachers to get it right when they don't feel confident in talking about these issues. The, it goes So it goes from training, it goes right through into uh, being added across the curriculum, like you said, English, history, personal and social education, all these different things all will have elements of LGBT inclusion, whereas I understand in other parts of the world, it's mostly, mostly based on sex and relationships education, which is, of course, a good starting point, but we feel that it has to be embedded right across the curriculum. So now I can remember learning about apartheid South Africa and how black people were treated when I was at school. And at that point, I made a conscious decision that I could never be a racist because I understood that people were being treated in this way somewhere in the world. Therefore, I would do everything in my power to make sure that wasn't happening in my part of the world. And I think the same thing can happen when it comes to LGBT inclusive education. Now, when we do our work in schools, I'll often talk about the fact that I'll, I, what I'll ask the kids to do is identify themselves with any LGBT family members. And I'll, I'll kind of go round and about the kids and ask them until someone says, I've got a gay uncle. And I'll start to speak to them about, OK, well, you know, what's your uncle's name? Does he have a partner, husband, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, I'll then explain to them that up until 1981, it was illegal for their uncle and their partner to be in love, that they could be imprisoned. Um, and, and that kind of has that kind of shocking aspect on young people because they understand in the modern world that there's lots and lots of very visible same-sex couples. And it's that kind of approach that we think works with young folk when they understand that ultimately the line I use in school is that this love was illegal when there actually is only one type of love and no love is illegal. So, you know, we believe that this, if we can educate people and let them understand the historical prejudices that these people have faced, then you hope that a large proportion of the people you speak to are going to say, yeah, you know, that's not good enough for me. I'm going to make sure I'm a voice for this community and I'm going to make sure I'm an ally and I'm going to stand up for LGBT people. I mean, there is something interesting in what you said, isn't it? In particular, isn't there, which is that, it was 1967 in England that uh, yeah. homosexuality stopped being illegal. And it was only 1981 in Scotland. And we yeah. often think of Scotland as a progressive place. And then sort of fast forwarding to the present day, have you faced much opposition? To you? you obviously said the Scottish government has supported you, but but have you faced you know opposition to what you're doing? What you know the, the fact that there was that later change in the law, what does that tell us? I think that our understanding is that, you know, if, if we go back to like the 1980s, Scotland did very much have a very Presbyterian underbelly. But when with regards to opposition, we've pretty much faced um, no significant opposition in Scotland at all. We were told that by people who should have known better told us that we would not be able to get this into Catholic schools. And the Scottish Catholic Education Service were members of the working group and have signed off on the recommendations. And wow. Actually, so the Catholic Church is supporting you? 
the Catholic Education Service of Scotland, yep, they have they have signed off on these recommendations. Um, because we were when when we we lobbied and we got the support of the majority of Scottish uh, MSPs, we then went to Westminster and we got a majority of Scottish MPs. So the political mandate was absolutely solid, but we wanted to go for a cooperative and a, and, a, and, a, and a, an open working group where we wanted everybody involved, all stakeholders in education. We wanted everybody around the table because if you can work with something like this, it's unfortunately still a little sensitive for some people. The only way forward, we believed as campaigners, was to work through consensus to get agreement and to make sure this was done correctly. I think there's something very interesting just thinking about it, about this broader curriculum point, because it's something about teaching the history of oppression of lesbian and gay people in a way is probably one of the best antidotes to continuing prejudice, isn't it? I mean, I'm just thinking about the difference between teaching narrowly, more narrowly in relationship and sex education um, about the LGBT community and then teaching the sort of broader point. And, And it probably is. I mean, that must be your reason for it, presumably. Absolutely, but there's also yeah the, the prejudice issue is, is absolutely fundamental. This because obviously when you know when people understand where they're coming up short as a human being, that's when you can you can make steps in the right direction. And you know something when I first met the co-founder Jordan, I was someone as a as a 36 year old heterosexual petrol tanker driver. I was someone who used all of those homophobic slurs. Right. I would never considered myself to be a homophobe. In fact, I would, if anyone was being homophobically abused in my uh, in, in anywhere around about me, if I was bore witness to that, I would step in because I, I'm not someone who appreciates bullying. So I would have stepped in and defended and backed up any LGBT person who was facing discrimination in my presence. But yet, I still use that language because it's become the social norm. So... If I can change my behaviour at 36 years old, then this is what we try and encourage young people. You can do the same. You can change your behaviour very, very quickly and we can stop using people's identity as a slur because that's ultimately what we do. But there's also the other issue with teaching this all across the curriculum. And something that I absolutely believe is that when LGBT young people find icons, they find heroes, they find moments whereby the LGBT community stood up and like Stonewall riots and fought back, where people were fighting for their lives. I think that young LGBT people, rather than being ashamed of who, who, they, who they might be attracted to, rather than being ashamed of themselves, which we understand happens a lot because of our, you know, the societal um, atmosphere we live in, I believe these young people will be proud when they understand that their community has a rich and vibrant history and when they understand there's people like Harvey Milk who, who are absolutely notable people from history and people who who they could identify with and they can see themselves and of course if you see yourself reflected in your education in a positive way that can only have a positive impact on that person and and you've talked about how you sort of built a a coalition and and support from institutions how about parents so uh, the the school protests in birmingham have sort of highlighted the the challenges of promoting better LGBT education uh, recently, have, have you? How, how have you tackled those kind of um, uh, that kind of opposition from parents? Well, we haven't faced it at this point in Scotland, and one of the organisations who took part in the working group as well, and who have voted unanimously to endorse our work, is the National Parent Forum of Scotland. And something I find as a parent, uh, when I go to my little girl school, she's now eight years old. And when I speak to parents about this LGBT inclusive education, and I'm talking about parents of all faiths and none, these parents are surprised that this is not already happening. 
they think that in 2019 that kids are already learning about these kind of issues and yet they actually seem to be, you know, they, they are surprised that this is not already happening in all schools. It's happening in some, but it's not happening in all schools and parents are surprised about that. So in Scotland, there's been absolutely no significant backlash at all from parents and we don't foresee that being the case either. We have a thing on the podcast called the Jeffocracy where I am a, a benign supreme leader and then I uh, appoint the various people we speak to uh, as, as ministers. If I was to appoint you and your unlikely friend Jordan as uh, joint ministers for equality and education inequality, what is the first thing you would do nationally across the whole of the UK on day one? Is it, is it synchronise uh, England and Wales with Scotland? What, 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 what would you introduce? No, the first thing I would do would be to um, involve teachers directly in all decisions that were made with regards to education. Our campaign, we are trying to now grow the campaign into a charity. And one of the first things we've done is we have, we've appointed an eight-person teachers panel. So absolutely everything that we do that's going to go near a school is run through our teachers panel. They can also create um, lesson plans. They can create stuff for school engagement. Because I believe, as, a, as an active trade unionist as well, I believe that the people who are delivering on various professions should be at the heart of the decision-making that affects their profession. I would put them right at the heart of every single decision that was made that affected them. Very nice to talk to you, Liam Stevenson. You've done an amazing thing uh, and uh, it's incredibly inspiring. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So what did you think? I, I almost feel like there are so many reasons to be cheerful around this that I worry about being Pollyanna-ish. Yeah. Because, you know, there, there are these problems involving bullying of LGBT kids, which are very prevalent and, and Ruth talked about. If you look at the progress that has been made in our lifetimes and what's happening in Scotland and the willingness of governments to look at this, I think there's 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 a lot to feel really positive about. And the story, you know, Liam's story is just full of optimism and the fact that him and Jordan have got that story to tell and they're bringing people on board. I, th- I think it's very exciting. I think Liam's story is absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, uh, he's just the sort of the way he got into this, the, the, you know, he was so honest about his own, you know, not views in the past, but he, because he obviously called out, you know, homophobia in the past, but that, you know, some of the things he would say, obviously, and 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 he obviously, you know, he's had a trans. I mean, they've obviously had a transformative effect. Uh, their group, and I suppose the more I heard it, the more I thought there's something about. And I know holistic is like a terrible word, but the the, the sort of that kind of approach, which is in a way, I think, sort of contextualizing it. I think sometimes I think we talked about this. For those who heard the uh, Rennie Edo Lodge interview, it's what it makes me think of. Um, you know, the Bristol bus boycott, which I certainly I hadn't known about. Sometimes we don't talk about, you know, we, we've got our own history, which is really quite important. Uh, or indeed the history of LGBT rights, the fight for, you know, and I think I think somehow that context is really important. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes. And, and Ruth is just this amazing ambassador and the stuff she's done around trans issues is really impressive and i think that's what i'm talking about really when say we shouldn't just all sort of sit around and pat ourselves on the back at how great and progressive we all are because even though we've come a long way uh, ruth is right that this this trans issue is you know the the big lgbt issue of today 
email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcast or search for our Facebook page, Reasons to be Cheerful Podcast. How does appreciation feel to you? A rising rush of warmth? A building wave of confidence? At Reward Gateway Eden Red, we know appreciation appreciates in value. Starting with people, radiating through companies to transform their performance and productivity. Capture the power of appreciation with our total employee experience platform. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. And here with some ideas. Why hasn't this happened before? It's the, the person who I think in my life has made me laugh harder than anybody else. Comedian Lou Sanders. Hello. That is lovely for me. Terrible for your wife. Yes, true. Yeah, but she just has to live with that. I mean, I'm very op- open about it. But it's it. not like his wife is a comedian or anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's more of a playwright. <laughs> That's funny because she no, she's a vet, funny. actually, yeah. isn't she? She's a very funny lady. Yes, she is. She um, is very funny. So, so Lou used to, when my co-host Annabelle was off on the radio show, you, Lou used to come and fill in. Mm. Um, but then there was an incident which meant you weren't allowed on anymore. Come on, what was the incident? You were only allowed on if you were on tape, yeah. like Sean Ryder. You know, when Sean Ryder went on Channel 4 and swore a lot was the and he wasn't allowed on Channel 4 anymore, that happened with Lou. Well, so I forgot it was 6pm. I worked in a different time zone, of course. You know, I was in the Americas. So and I said a chat-up line. I'll do it to you. He's, he's very yeah, do it to us, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Excuse me, have you got the time to yeah. suck me off? <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah but the the um funny thing is because that wasn't funny at the time at Ofcom I used to work at Ofcom I used to have a part-time job at Ofcom before my yes. comedy was going so well <laughs> and um then I just left Ofcom the year before and then they were the ones that ruled that I could never go on absolute radio what Ofcom ruled it yeah so, they said I'm barred so the only reason that um they didn't the radio station didn't end up with a big fine is I had the presence of mind straight after she said it to go, sorry about that, listeners, <laughs> and then press the commercials. If I hadn't have done that, they could have been fined hundreds of thousands Ooh. of pounds. Did you immediately know this is a big problem? Well, 
Yes, yeah, I did, yeah. You know, as a seasoned professional. <laughs> but I didn't want to unnerve Lou at the time. But all the text messages started yeah. arriving saying, I'm listening to this in the car with my six-year-old. How am I supposed to explain what sucking someone off is? And I sort of felt like I could reply saying, maybe just distract them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe say, do you want the lolly? Yeah. But, yeah. You don't have to explain that. I'll come round and explain it to them. No, but um, I, I did. that was a low point, actually, in my broadcasting career. But um, look at us now. And Lou's going from strength to strength. She's on the current season series, sorry, of uh, Taskmaster. Mm, True story. Do you know that show? No, I knew. I could tell by his face he didn't know that show. He's busy. What do you do? Yeah, good question. Mm. Member of Parliament. Uh, uh, (laughs) But what do you do day to day? I'm just trying to imagine. He represents his constituents. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you, you take part in various debates in the House debates. of Commons. You're involved in climate causes. Change. Oh, I love that. Busy, busy guy. Yeah. Busy guy. But, I, likes, but I'm clearly missing out on Taskmaster. No, I won't worry about it. Lou did have a podcast, um, which sadly came to an end recently. It was called Why Is Your Bottom So Dirty? Did you catch that one, Ed? No, I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, got the things I should have time for. Taskmaster and your, I can, I can presumably study the back catalogue, so to speak. And I'd like to look over some of your policies. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you've brought some policies. I've brought some policies. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ed is very tired today. He's not. No, no, I'm on. I'm on. Are you sure? I'm way on. Way on. Do you think we've connected enough? I feel like me and Ed haven't connected. No, we're connecting. Lou's a very spiritual. Is is that fair to describe you as a spiritual? I was very excited to meet Ed Miliband, and when I tell my step father he's gonna be cocker who well we're gonna have a selfie yeah i hope so definitely and my mum should i record well. a video message for them yes please yeah oh, definitely okay so my uh rules would you call them laws yeah idea let's call them ideas, ideas. lose laws yeah. will you um enforce them ed yeah definitely lose I'll legislation i'll be your enforcer will you yeah <laughs> okay that's a joke legislation legislation <laughs> yeah We'll, we'll say, are we going to legislate this yes, one? Yes, yeah. Stop loud sirens and motorbikes. Stop loud what? Ones. Loud sirens. That's police, ambulance, fire. So what What if a fire engine is trying to make its way through? Okay, a- but a little bit quieter, please. <laughs> Um, or with they a... can be quite honky, can't they? It's so honky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're definitely. But... Do you not feel that this has been given some thought, and they've probably got them set to just the right volume that they need them at? I can't hear myself think when there's an emergency. <laughs> but you know, didn't it? We, we, I did. He, Jeff and I are of similar generation. When we were growing up, it was Nina, Nina, Nina. Yes. There's no Ninas anymore. No, are no. There? Even my my son calls them Ninas, but but they're not. When the did wee, the Ninas? Aren't they? I've never. Heard, that is a really good observation. I've never heard that it was Nina. Yeah, when did the Nina go out of fashion? So more broadly, is it about Sorry, noise pollution? Fine. <laughs> fine. Sorry, Lou. If your neighbours are if your neighbours are having a loud party, can I you... just say my, my socked foot, my my not barefoot, but it's got a sock on it, just touched <laughs> Was it thrilling? <laughs> it was thrilling for both of us. Uh... <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Why has that tickled you so much? It was an honest mistake. (laughs) Like we thought you were talking about fire engines, but really you had a hidden agenda. (laughs) Footsie. Okay. Number two. Parks with working spaces like sheds or something like this and no noises in the shed. So would, if your working space is in a shed, have they not got tools? Would you not be hammering in the shed? It, no, 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 no. It's a wor- it's it's like a pop up working spaces in the park, but they are soundproof. So it's skewed towards people who do quiet work. So you're excluding like somebody who works with a lathe. 
Have you yeah. got? Have you obviously got some sound issues, yeah, Lou? Some, you think yeah. the world is too noisy? Yes, I do. Well, some people are very sensitive. So are you one of these people if someone's chewing it really uh, no, at night? I, I'll get off on that. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't like noise. I, I think there's too much. I started going to libraries. I can see where everyone's saying yes. the libraries now. It's beautiful, but there's too much noise everywhere. It, I, mean, some, I think libraries are less quiet than they used to be, aren't they? I never used to go in there. Right. Mm. Have you done any shushing? No, because I just do that with my eyes. Do you a shush in the library? And not only as we talked about cinema, this before, yeah. in the cinema, I'm a shush. I've never shushed in a library. I've never, I've never shushed anyone in my goddamn life. So, so <laughs> you cinema with me? We could do some shushing. <laughs> I love it. Do you, yeah. So the world is too loud for Because we for live you. in London, don't you think? Yeah. It's too like I love the older I get, the more I lo- just love nature so much. Because... Maybe we need a cross departmental review of noise. Yeah. So we could the Noise check, Abatement Society. Yeah, which could take into account, you know, emergency vehicles, parks. I think my ideal life would be a nice little place in Gospel Oak. Doesn't have to be big. And then I and then I pop pop across to different places with nature. What about the environment? Ah, on a pedal bike. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do quite like getting out of London and going to the countryside. Mm. I think it does make a difference to one's mental well-being mm. don't you think yeah and it's a shame for people that can't afford it and that's why london needs parks are gr- yeah but L- london's pretty well served by parks no yeah Definitely. you think there's too much yeah. noise in parks um or you want to work spaces that you want these what these are sheds what's happening in these sheds yeah tapping away what are people doing like right right is it all these people who are writing screenplays so like work spaces in sheds yeah or you can use them for different things. Go and break up with your partner. Go and write. Something. If they cry, you're allowed to shush them. Yeah. I'm not sure the breakup should happen in the shed if for the quietness. Bad thing. energy. <laughs> but it's just an idea. We don't have to enforce no, it now. I we like can it. have some time to think. I like the noise thing. I like the noise thing. You're right. Too much noise. Yeah. All right. Paddling pool for adults, number three. Mm. Mm. Ah? So, so there, there are sort of swimming pools for adults. You know this, but you, you want somewhere you can just wade. Oh, okay, no, forget it then. Sorry, I didn't realise. <laughs> I didn't realise. No. On to the next one. I'd like that. Mm. What you mean? Well, like you just go and walk in, well, in a. This is back to my mm. point of some. We live near parks. We're very lucky. Some people don't. Okay, paddling pools. I get jealous if I see a bouncy castle paddling pool. Adults aren't allowed on. Okay, where's my slice of the fun? I mean, I'm really pleased not to be on a bouncy castle. <laughs> yeah, that could go wrong for you or, or me. Ed and I aren't physically adept people. I don't want to be on the bouncy castle, no way. It's Ed went on a trampoline and the, and the results were yeah. so embarrassing that he suppressed the video. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Was it like a... Did we release that video? No, no. You, you wouldn't well, let Well, the trampoline video yeah, never came released out, either. No. Oh. What happened? Like, just... Well, not really. It's just me jumping on a trampoline. You're not, you're not graceful. I'm not a sort you of sw- I'm not a swan. No. Mm. Mm. Still, I'll have a look. <laughs> Ug- ugly duckling. Um, yeah. I do like a nice paddle. <laughs> See, I've, I've got the advantage of having a toddler, so if he goes paddling, I can go paddling with him. And not look. And, yeah, yeah. yeah so whereas you would look a bit. Pools. I hadn't really thought that one through as much, but the next one is much go. better. Okay. Go, go, go. Thought through. Monkey friend for everyone, if the monkey likes <laughs> Monkey friend for everyone. If, if the, the monkey, monkey likes, likes it. it. What do you mean if the monkey likes it? I don't get the last bit. Well, so you know, if a monkey wanted to be friend with yeah. you, you could be friends with monkey. Wouldn't that be nice? Imagine if you had a friend. Real monkey. Real monkey. 
Pets are a recurring theme of this podcast, yeah. aren't because they? Because I'll tell you what brings well, your blood pressure down. I'm not sure monkeys are pets. I'll tell you what brings your blood pressure down. This would save me animals. from the NHS. Animals, nature, water, okay, and and a quiet time. <laughs> they are all things, honestly, that bring your blood level, uh, blood heart rate down. Hello? Heart Oxytocin, rate down. <laughs> is that what it's called? Well, that, the, the monkeys are definitely up. do that, yeah. Serotonin up, um, heart rate down, and we're talking saving money at the, on the NHS, you know, well, do we know how, ex- how much is a monkey? We'd have I'll to import a lot of monkeys. No, you start breeding them. 60 million of them. One for everyone. Not everyone wants a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> have you worked out how many we would need, do you think? I haven't done the math. 10 million? 5 million? I, mean, that's even, I think start more. Start small, prototype. Well, a trial. More than one in 10 people Pilot. would want a monkey. Listen, at least you start in small, you're saying what are the pros and cons. Do we pick a town and do a monkey trial in that town, see how many people there want a monkey, yeah. and then roll it out nationally? Yeah. Why monkeys, though, in particular? Because when you were a little boy, yeah, didn't you want a monkey? Yes. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you, Jeff. What size monkeys are we thinking? Um, handbag. Oh, little monkeys. Well, I, I mean... Certainly, lap, but not too heavy. I mean, I like the idea of pets. I'm not sure. I think a dog, actually. No, dogs are a no-go area because you have to pick up the poop. What about the monkey poop? It throws it around. Yeah. We can't have monkey poop all over the place, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) I mean, you know, you're going to have to – sorry, if you're going to get the monkeys, you're going to need poop scoop. You can train – a monkey's cleverer than a dog, so you can train the monkey, put it in the bin. Get your poop, put it in the bin, you get a treat. Monkeys are like, yeah, I'm all over that. What about when monkeys just start following their animal urges? In the middle of the day when there are lots, lots of people around. Well, I had a neighbour once, two doors down, <laughs> called Weird Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Same I'm thing. Sure Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but you're not on board with monkeys for everyone. No, uh, monkeys for most. I, I, look, I'm open to this as a piece of legislation. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm just wondering about the choice of pet. I think there are some, I think there are some, I think we like the pet idea don't I, we? I, I would like a monkey as long as it wanted to be friends with me i wouldn't yeah. want to force my friendship on a monkey maybe well i think we just try what about trialing it with different animals oh, monkeys oh, giraffes i once held hands with a lemur it was lovely was it yeah it's was, it was like holding the softest glove you've ever felt what is a lemur it's sort of like a black and white it's not quite like a monkey but kind of Right. Oh, yeah, I was thinking of a... It's not a llama. I was thinking of a llama as well. <laughs> no, no, no. Because yeah. they, they've got cloven hooves, haven't they? Yeah, I did wonder. Yeah, Lou, tell us about your your Edinburgh show. I saw a preview of it the other night, um, and I'm extremely excited. That wasn't about a good, sh- that wasn't I, a good preview. I'm telling you, there is so much great stuff there. You've got so many brilliant ideas, and you're it's quite so rude. funny. It's not rude. What, what is it called? Well, it's a bit rude. Um, It's called Say Hello to Your New Step, Mummy. Mm. Tell your kids. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Lou had some merchandise made, didn't you? You're going to love the new merch. The new merch is a canvas bag, but an appropriate size because I feel like they're all too small yeah. and they're shrinking the wash. So obviously ethically made. I mean, I'm not a moron. Yeah. A canvas bag, a rose, a red rose, and it says vote labia. Oh, mm. you like you're that? like that. There you go. All right. Will you do a, a picture with it for the press campaign? No. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely not. <laughs> Uh, but thank you for the kind offer. <laughs> Imagine if you got kicked out of the Labour Party for that. Alistair Campbell-style moment. It wouldn't be a good way to end one's career. I, don't, I really don't think so. 
Uh, All right, Lou, thank you so much. <laughs> Is that it now? Yeah. Yep. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Oh, we're in the outro. We're in the outro. We're dematerialising. Mm. And just a reminder that uh, Sunday... The 28th is our next live show. It's our last live two show. Two weeks' time. Uh, well, until less than the two autumn. weeks' yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's come around quick, hasn't it? It's in Clapham in London at the Clapham Grand. We would love for you to be there. You can get tickets by uh, having a look in the episode description. There's a link in there. Or if you Google our names, the name of the podcast, Clapham Grand, you, you, you'll get there. We'll Otherwise, it'll be, I think we're alone now. <laughs> That is amazing to me that you know that. I, I mean, no, you don't know much of that now. song. Do you know who sang it? No. Well, the version you, you'll know best yeah. is Tiffany. If, yes. What's the second line? Uh, there doesn't seem to be anyone around. Well, that might well be true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> We're not careful. Let's see. It'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, get your tickets uh, to the next Reasons to be Cheerful live event. It's going to be an exciting Only one. the lonely. <laughs> Um, we should say our thank yous. Yes. I'd like to thank Ruth Hunt and Liam Stevenson. And thanks to the marvellous Lou Sanders for, for coming in and making us laugh. Emma Caution produced our podcast with backup and research by Joel Pierce and Joe Kenyon. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed produced our music. James Deacon did our eye dance. And the artwork is done by Emily Power. Did that quite well. Thank you. It's only taken me 94 episodes. <laughs> He's been the man with the frying pan. He's been the sweet affiliate. And these have been <laughs> reasons to be cheerful. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.